You may be seated. And when you are, please open your copies of God's Word to the book of Romans. Uh, We are still in Romans chapter 8. We've slowed down a bit and we're um, looking... Uh, more in a, with a little more focus on some of these verses. And today we're just going to be looking at Romans uh, 8, chapter 28 through 30. And even though there's only three verses, I, I still thought, boy, I wonder if I took too much text. Um, there is just, as you'll see, there is, there is just a lot um, in these little verses. It's amazing how God does that. We're going to begin reading at verse 18. And then we'll read on through uh, to verse 30 of chapter 8. But let me set the context a little bit for you. Uh, Paul, as he's got here to uh, Romans 8, is starting to look at the life of the believer. And he said, you've been set free. God has set you free from uh, bondage. And you are... um, now a different person. You have a new identity. He says the Holy Spirit has transformed us. He, he is living within us, abiding within us. And he said, uh, we are children of God. He says, we are to call our God uh, Father. The term is so intimate. It could be uh, looked at as dad or daddy, papa, an intimate word. He says, Um, this is what it's like for you now. This is who you are. But he doesn't hide in any way that uh, all of life's struggles are going to go away. He says the Holy Spirit uh, prays for us when we don't know how to pray, when the words can't come out. And and as we get here to uh, verses 28 through 30, you'll see that he gives us assurance even through life struggle. So with that, let's look at the text. So again, Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin reading at verse 18. This is God's holy and inspired word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who were called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And here ends the reading of God's word. Let's come to him in prayer and ask him to bless our time meditating on his word. Lord, we would humble ourselves before you and ask for your grace in this moment. Lord, you know the ways in which we are distracted. And you know, Lord, that it is work to hear a sermon, just like it's work to preach it. Lord, we pray that you would give us focus, that you would um, help us to value your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would encourage us, that you would tell us what we need to know. Lord, we're looking for your grace and for your blessing. We'd ask that you would give us that grace and ears to hear. We'd ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory's sake. Amen. Well, life is full of challenges, isn't it? Sometimes they're one after another as well. Uh, For instance, I remember uh, my seminary years, my wife and I, uh, we had it all planned out. Uh, We we had um, the timing of it all planned out. Uh, We had planned out how we would pay for everything along the way. And just as we were about uh, to hit the home stretch in that journey, uh, we became unemployed. And it was a, a long unemployment. At first, you know, we weren't very phased by it. We thought it would just be over quick, and we had a, a little money. Uh, but that went quickly. And then we turned to our tax return, and... Um, Soon that was gone, and then we started living on our savings account, hoping that we wouldn't just come to nothing. You start looking around at uh, things you own and wondering, what, do I own anything I could uh, sell? The uh, legendary Corvette that you've never seen was on the chopping block at, at that time. Fortunately, it made it. It made it. It's a, it's a good thing. But we scrambled to find work, and we couldn't uh, find it. And I wonder, has disaster struck in your life at times? I mean, it could be finance. Maybe it's something else. Uh, Relationships, uh, death. Uh, Maybe it's some kind of uh, addiction that's plaguing a member of the family. Maybe it's suicide in the family. It's in moments like these that we often find ourselves asking profound questions. Like, where is God in all of this? What is his purpose? What is his purpose in my struggles? And does he have a plan amid the chaos? These questions aren't unique to us. Of course, they've echoed through the ages, and they're questions that the Apostle Paul addresses head-on in this passage. Our theme today is assurance, assurance in God's sovereign plan. This text 
speaks to our deep need for hope and purpose. In our passage, we find answers to our questions, revealing God's hand in the midst of our challenges. So what can we expect today? We'll delve into each aspect of assurance, uncovering how God's purpose, plan, and promise provide us a foundation for our faith. Our aim is simple, that you leave here today with a renewed sense of hope, ready to anchor your faith in God's unchanging plan. And we're going to begin with finding assurance in God's purpose. That's our first heading, assurance in God's purpose. Paul spoke about the future glory that awaits believers despite our present suffering. Do you remember that in verse 18? That's how our reading started off this morning. He discussed the groanings of creation itself. And then he looked at us and he looked at our inward groaning. And he says that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us in our weakness as we wait on the Lord. And yet the Bible is clear about God's sovereignty and his providence. The Bible says that God is absolutely sovereign. The sovereignty of God refers to his absolute and supreme authority and control over all things, including the universe, events, and human destiny. Everything is moving according to his divine plan and will. The providence of God, on the other hand, is his ongoing and active care, guidance, and provision over all of creation, working in harmony with his divine plan and purpose. Sovereignty speaks to his ultimate and complete control of everything, including his divine plan. And providence refers to his active care and provision within his sovereignty as he guides and sustains creation according to his plan. So he's absolutely sovereign and in control. He's got all power and authority. And he is active and moving in this world, whether it's the weather or whatever it is. He's active in life. The notion of God's orchestration in our lives can be a topic of both wonder and awe and doubt. We often find ourselves asking, does God truly work all things for good? This question strikes at the heart of our faith, and it's a question that the Apostle Paul does not shy away from. Our text begins with assurance, a declaration that sets the tone for the entire passage. In verse 28, Paul assures believers that God indeed orchestrates all circumstances for their ultimate good. Draw your attention to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul says, we know. He doesn't say we speculate or we guess. He says, we know. 
We know this isn't a blind faith. It's a rock solid confidence. Paul assures us that God's sovereignty extends to every circumstance. He works diligently to bring about good, especially for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This means that even in the midst of challenges, God is actively at work orchestrating events to ultimately bring about good for those who love him. Now, it's important to remember that God's understanding of good may not always align with our immediate desires or expectations. God brings about the ultimate good. His perspective is much broader than ours, and we should expect that, right? He doesn't just care about momentary happiness. He cares about your spiritual growth. God is concerned about you developing character. He has a greater plan for your life. You can trust in his sovereignty knowing that he can transform even the most trying circumstances into opportunities for your growth and for your blessing and for his glory. One of the most uh, compelling examples of ultimate good, uh, not aligning with our immediate circumstances, is found in the story of Joseph Joseph from the book of Genesis. Uh, You'll remember that Joseph faced uh, numerous trials, including being sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he was unjustly imprisoned and uh, He was separated from his family for years, and these events were undoubtedly difficult and did not align with Joseph's immediate desires, but they were for his ultimate good. In hindsight, we see how these trials were a part of God's greater plan. Joseph's journey eventually led him to a position of great authority in Egypt where he played a crucial role in not only saving his own family, but also others from a severe famine. And Joseph realized that, didn't he? At the end of the book of Genesis, he says, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He could see the way God's providence ultimately led to his good and for the good of others. Through his hardships, you see, Joseph gained wisdom and humility and the ability to forgive, which contributed to the ultimate good of God's plan. The lesson here is that God has ultimate good in mind, and it often involves a combination of personal growth and character development and the fulfillment of his purposes. And it may require enduring trials and difficulties that we don't initially understand. But these experiences can ultimately lead to greater blessings and the realization of God's plan for our lives. You'll notice that Paul says that believers are called according to his purpose. You see that there in the text. You see, 
believers are chosen and called by God for a specific purpose in his grand plan. This calling is part of God's deliberate and intentional design for your life. He has a unique purpose for each believer. And our lives, all of our lives, your life, is part of his larger plan. Being called according to his purpose suggests that your life should align with God's will, with his purpose. This alignment involves not just acknowledging his existence, but actively seeking to discern his plan and to follow it. It means making choices and decisions that reflect his value and purposes as revealed in the scripture. So it's important that we do what? If you want to know God's plan for your life, you need to read his word. You need to see what he says, um, how you should live, and need to pray. Ask him, seek him, listen for his voice, seek his voice. You have a unique purpose in God's plan. In challenging times, remember, you are part, Christian, you are part of God's purpose. Doesn't that bring you comfort? If you are in Christ, you are part of God's purpose. Even when circumstances seem bad, you can have confidence that God is at work for your ultimate good. God is in control of every circumstance, no matter how challenging or uncertain it appears. Understanding that God's purpose is intertwined with his control leads to greater trust in his plan. And that leads us to our second heading, assurance in God's plan. Assurance in God's plan. Last April, my wife and I flew out west on vacation. And we said, um, let's not make any plans. Let's uh, just take every day, day by day, and we'll see what happens. Big, big mistake. <laughs> big mistake. Don't do that. Uh, having plans brings assurance. It provides hope, especially when you're in a downtime, knowing that something is coming. Maybe something is coming. It provides hope. It gives us a sense that we're headed somewhere. Paul says that believers are called according to God's purpose. And God's purpose involves all that God has planned for you in the future. But first, Paul goes deeper into God's sovereign calling. In verse 29, he writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Paul says first that God foreknew his people. God's foreknowledge goes beyond a mere awareness of future events. Paul isn't saying that God looked down the corridor of time and saw who would choose him and then based on that elected them to salvation. No, no, God is omniscient. 
God will never learn anything. When Paul speaks of God's foreknowledge, he's talking about God's intimate and deeply personal knowledge of individuals that he has predestined for salvation. Before the foundation of the world, God in his omniscience foreknew his elect. God knows his chosen ones intimately, including their thoughts and feelings and choices and their ultimate destination in his redemptive plan. Believer, before the foundation of the world was laid, God knew you. He had you in his heart and in his mind and in his plan. That's the first step of foreknowledge. God saw you before you ever saw him. Then Paul takes us deeper into God's plan. He speaks of predestination. This is God's purposeful choice, his deliberate decision to set you on a path. Where's the path headed? Conformity to the image of his son. God actively predestines individuals to be a part of his redemptive plan. And this predestination isn't contingent on human merit, but is solely, solely rooted in God's sovereign will and grace. You see, God's foreknowledge is interwoven with his divine plan and purpose. And verse 29 tells us something about that plan. Those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In the beginning, humanity was created in the image of God. This image originally reflected the moral and spiritual and relational qualities of God. But when sin entered The world, this image was marred and humans became separated from God. And throughout the Bible, there's a sense of anticipation that believers will be restored to their original likeness. But this time, it will be through the redemptive work of Christ. And the scriptures talk about that transformation that begins at the moment of salvation and continues through the believer's life. Through faith in Christ, believers are reconciled to God and enter into the process of sanctification. You'll remember that sanctification is a cooperative work between God and Christians. It's a process of ongoing transformation where God makes us more like Christ. God convicts us of sin. He empowers us through the Spirit, and he works in us to fulfill his good pleasure. Of course, we actively participate in this transformation as we yield to the work of the Spirit in our lives. And Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the perfect model and example for believers. He not only redeemed and reconciled us to God, but he also empowers us to live out 
our new identity in him. And one day, and one day, if you're a believer, you will fully, fully bear his image. Believers will be completely conformed to the likeness of Christ in glorified bodies. Believer, this should get you excited. I had to remind myself, are you gonna stand in front of them and act like that's not a big deal? This is a huge deal. This is huge. We're gonna be glorified and fully transformed into the image of Christ. Believer, this should give you assurance. God's plan is not random. It's intentional. It's not haphazard. It's purposeful. God isn't a distant observer. He's an active participant in your life. He's not a passive spectator, but an orchestrator of your journey. He's actively shaping you into the image of his son. You see, you're part of a grand design, a divine masterpiece in the making. And this active role brings assurance because it means we're not alone on this path. We're not left to navigate life's twists and turns by ourselves. You'll notice that verse 29 ends by saying that God is conforming you into the image of his son. For what? In order that he might be the firstborn son among many brothers. Now the phrase firstborn among many brothers is rich in its significance. In the cultural context of the time, the firstborn held the position of preeminence and privilege within the family. Paul's emphasizing that Jesus was the firstborn, and by doing that, he's showing that he is preeminent in the family of God. He holds a unique and exalted status. Yet the beautiful part is that we as believers become his brothers and sisters in the family of God. We share in his inheritance and in a spiritual sense, take on the, fa- the familial relationship with him. Paul's intention here is to show the incredible depth of our connection with Christ. We're not just followers or servants. We're family. God's purpose in conforming us to Christ's image is to bring us into a profound, intimate relationship with Jesus where he is not only our Lord and our Savior, but he's also our brother This relationship reflects the depth of God's love and his desire for us to be a part of his family. And this leads us to our third heading, assurance in God's promise. Assurance in God's promise. 
verses 29 and 30 have been commonly called the golden chain of salvation. Have you heard that phrase before? It's called this because these verses provide a concise and powerful summary of the various steps or stages involved in God's salvation for believers. Those who God foreknows, he predestines, calls, justifies, and glorifies. Each step is intimately connected to the next, creating a chain of events that ultimately leads to the believer's glorification. And this chain is called golden because it represents the unbroken, unchanging, and precious sequence of events in God's plan of salvation. You see, it's like a beautiful chain of God's promises, each link connected to the other, forging an unbreakable bond of assurance. It speaks of God's commitment to us from eternity past in a way that is glorious because it points to our destination in eternity. God's foreknowledge and predestination ensure what we read next, his calling. In verse 30, Paul writes, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The term called in this context doesn't merely mean an invitation or a general calling. It refers to God's effectual call or irresistible call. It refers to regeneration. It refers to being born again. It refers to a supernatural birth from above that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. It's the divine summons by which God draws individuals to himself, enabling them to respond in faith and repentance. This calling is an essential step in the process of salvation. Paul's highlighting the sequence of God's work in salvation. It starts with God's predestination, where he chooses individuals according to his purpose. Then he actively calls them to himself, opening up their hearts and minds to recognize their needs for him, to recognize their need for the gospel. This calling is not based on human merit or effort, but is a result of God's grace and his sovereign choice. You see, the emphasis here is on God's initiative in the process of salvation. He doesn't merely predestine and then leave it to human choice. Rather, he ensures that those he predestines will respond to his call. This underscores the certainty and assurance of salvation for those who are a part of God's divine plan. When Paul speaks of believers being called, it's not a mere formality. It's a profound reality. 
God's effectual calling ensures that his purpose for your life isn't a distant distant hope, but a present reality. It's his way of saying, I have chosen you. And my call upon your life will prevail. You see, Paul is conveying that predestination leads to a divine effectual calling where God actively works to bring his chosen ones into a personal relationship with him through faith in Christ. This calling is a testament to God's grace and sovereignty in the salvation of believers. This fact is made plain when Paul says that those whom he called, he also justified. You see, justification is connected to God's sovereignty in salvation. Those whom God calls believe in Christ and are justified before God. After God calls someone, that person responds in faith and God justifies them. This means that he legally declares them righteous and forgives their sins. And this act of justification isn't based on the believer's own righteousness or good deeds, but solely on the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed or credited to the believer's account. Believers are justified through faith in Jesus. It's through faith that they receive the righteousness of Christ and are declared righteous in God's eyes. This justification is a one-time event that happens at the moment of salvation and it's based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's gotta be clear. That's gotta be clear. Make sure that that is clear in your mind. In verse 30, when Paul says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. He's emphasizing the final step in his plan of salvation, glorification. Glorification is the ultimate and future aspect of salvation. It refers to the moment when believers after their physical death or at the return of Christ will be transformed into a perfect glorified state. We talked about the fourfold state of man. You remember that? Earlier in this series, we said that men were, Adam and Eve were originally created and they were created good. They didn't have sin, but they had a conditional footing. They could fall. And then we talked about the second stage We fell, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, The natural man cannot understand the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.14, right? Because they're spiritually discerned. So God has to come and he has to intervene and transform, wake us up from death to life. That's the third stage, being born again. So the only thing existing right now in our world are two, dead in sin or alive in Christ. But there is a fourth That's glorification. The future state where we won't be like Adam and Eve with a conditional footing, but have an unconditional footing, never able to fall. 
This transformation includes receiving a new incorruptible body free from sin and the effects of this fallen world. Glorification is the culmination of the believer's journey of salvation. It completes the process that began with predestination, calling, justification, and now ultimately glorification. And you'll notice that when Paul speaks of glorification, it's in the past tense, even though it's a future event. Do you see that? The tense highlights the absolute assurance believers have in God's plan. It's as if Paul is saying that from God's perspective, it's already a done deal. Believers can trust that God will bring them to a state of glory where they will be completely transformed into the likeness of Christ. Paul's conveying the certainty and assurance of God's plan of salvation. If God has justified someone declaring them righteous through faith in Christ, then glorification is guaranteed It's a future event that God has already determined for those who belong to him. Believer, this assurance of glorification should bring great comfort to you. It means that your ultimate destiny is to be in the presence of God, fully conformed to the image of Christ and free from sin and suffering. Glorification is the believer's final transformation, marking the completion of their salvation journey and the beginning of eternity with God in his glory. The day is coming. Life is filled with challenges. And we often find ourselves wondering about God's purpose in our struggles. But today we've discovered the assurance that comes from anchoring our trust in God's sovereign plan. When he began, he's going to complete, it is certain. We began by exploring the assurance in God's purpose, understanding that God's sovereignty extends to every circumstance. He diligently orchestrates all things for the ultimate good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And this knowledge gives us confidence that even in the midst of challenges, God is actively at work, transforming trials into opportunities for growth and blessing and his glory. And we delved into the assurance of God's plan, recognizing that God's purpose is intertwined with his control. He is not a passive spectator, but an orchestrator of our journey, shaping us into the image of his beloved son. This active role brings assurance because it means that we're not alone on this path, but we're part of his grand design. Remember, a masterpiece in the making And finally, we explored the assurance of God's promise, witnessing the golden chain of salvation. Remember, it's called golden because it represents the unbroken and unchanging sequence of events 
in God's plan of salvation. We saw how God's effectual calling ensures his chosen ones respond in faith and are justified before him. And this justification, which is based solely on the righteousness of Christ, leads to the magnificent promise of glorification. The believer, you are in God's hands. He chose to love you and to declare you righteous in Christ. You belong to him now and forever. Forever. Anchor your trust in God's sovereign purpose, plan, and promise as the foundation of your hope. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to find the will to meditate on your word and to meditate on the promise of glorification. Lord, it is so hard as we sit and we suffer. Um, The pain makes us, compels us to cast our eyes on the problem. Lord, help us to cast our eyes on Christ, to cast our eyes on the promise that you've given us, that all things are working together for our good and your glory, and that we will be with you. Lord, you promised that if you went away, you'd be making a place for us, that we would be able to come and be with you forever. Lord, that is the cry of our hearts. We want to be with you forever. Lord, we'd ask that you would hear our prayer, that you would help us and hear our prayer. We'd ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.